Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at viking.com. Coming up on the Money Beat podcast, Berkshire Hathaway takes a stake in Apple. That was not a decision made by Warren Buffett. And the IPO market, June, will be the crucible for the IPO market in 2016. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Welcome to the Money Beat podcast. Paul Vigna here. Stephen Grosser has the day off. Eric Holm is with me. And we have two guests for you. You, Corey Drebush and Maureen Farrell, who wrote the Abreast of the Markets story, which we'll talk about in a little while. Uh, but first, I think we have to have the uh, obligatory make fun of Stephen Grosser for not being here segment, right? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So uh, Stephen Grosser is not here today. This, this is the amazing thing about Grosser. I can't even make fun of him. The guy takes the day off. This morning he's editing our morning newsletter. <laughs> he's working on – there was a problem with a, a story last week that had to be fixed. He's working on that. And then he sends me a, an email and he says, if you want me to call in for the podcast <laughs> at 1 o'clock, I can do that. He has a fear of missing out. Yeah. Major FOMO. Major FOMO. Uh, Grocer, your work – you're off. This is your day off. Take the day off. That's a day off for Stephen Grocer. <laughs> I think working an eight-hour day these days, it's like a half day for Grocer. Right. So he probably feels like it's really a day off, only like three hours. Right, only three <laughs> hours, doing things from home, you know. Uh, in all honesty, and I should probably say it when he's here because it's a nice thing to say. I, I really, I'm not sure if there's anybody in this newsroom that works harder than him. I mean, the guy does do a lot uh, on a lot of different topics, you know. So... Um, that so take was, the day off, buddy. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that was the making fun of Stephen Grosser segment. That really went off the rails. That was terrible. <laughs> we didn't make fun of him at all. Uh, Holm, you didn't. You, you're always so quick with the quips in the newsroom, Holm. I get you in front of a microphone. You got nothing. Uh, I was just going to say that he also commissioned another story as well that you, you, uh, that you ended up editing because. Uh, oh, that's right. Yeah, 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 that's right. He had Benoit. So that yeah, he he yeah. got on Benoit to do that post. Right. Yeah, unbelievable. He's all, all right. over the place. He's all over the place. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about another uh, another giant in the marketplace who's in the news today, <laughs> Warren Buffett. Uh, Buffett, uh, is he getting getting a little tech fever, Eric Holm? What happened here? He is not. He is not. <laughs> he is not. Despite what you may have heard, anyone who tells you that Warren Buffett bought shares of Apple today does not know what they're talking about. Wow. Yes. Wow. Bold Harsh. Statement. Bold yes. statement. Yes. yes. And Paul, you and I. Okay, but I, I have a, a, yeah. a headline, Eric, right right here. Yeah. Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway takes one billion position in. I mean, it's all. Of it's that, in the Wall Street Journal, Eric. All of that is true. <laughs> yeah, but note the possessive. Warren Buffett. The Berkshire Hathaway took the stake yeah. in in um, Apple today, but Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett, of course, is a famed stock picker, and everyone cares about what he's buying. Yeah. Um, but people make the mistake of assuming that everything that Berkshire buys is something that Warren Buffett had a major role in. He had he told um, our colleague Prita in an email today that he had no role in this at all. Um, and that's actually not surprising these days at Berkshire because they, they have these two investing lieutenants, um, uh, Todd Combs and Ted Weschler, who've been around for a few years now. And they are taking on a greater and greater role at Berkshire in picking um, the stocks in their the equity portfolio. Each is managing about $9 billion these days. And they actually they, – so they don't have to run their decisions by, by Warren Buffett? They do not. No, they don't. They no. have carte blanche to invest. Absolutely. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah, yeah. They, they, and, and in fact, 
Charlie Munger, the vice chairman of Berkshire, who's worked alongside Warren Buffett for you know five decades or something, he's he's said that um, you know even even in companies that Buffett doesn't want to invest in and actively dislikes, they should go ahead and feel free to do it because plenty of people told Warren Buffett when he was their age, you know, that investing in this or that was a bad idea, and of course. You know, they were all wrong and Warren Buffett was right. So, Eric, do you see this as a sign of, like, the new face of Berkshire Hathaway? I mean, are we going to start seeing very new types of investments? I mean, they haven't been in tech. Yeah, that's right. Not only is it a new stake, which, you know, they take all the time, but it's a completely different area for Berkshire because Warren Buffett is famously tech-averse. Right, you know, he he's he's made one ever uh, major investment in tech, and that's an IBM. But other than that, he said, "Listen, I don't understand tech companies. I don't know how they work, and I can't forecast ten years into the future and tell you where they'll be." Which is sort of his, you know, primary uh, sort of criteria for investing. He has to be able to look ahead and understand it. And and so yeah, yeah, this is a you know a sign that these guys are more you know comfortable in the tech space. And in fact, they, I believe one of them had taken a, a stake in Intel um, previously as well. So it's it's it, but it was a smaller. This is a billion dollar stake, which is smallish for Berkshire, but not quite as small as these guys have normally taken in the past. Do, do you think that you could deduce from this maybe that Apple? Is the kind of tech company that somebody like Warren Buffett could understand and does have the sort of value proposition that a Warren Buffett might appreciate? And because of that, it's not – it's a different kind of tech company? Sure. In this way. In this way. Todd and Ted, these two lieutenants, are are value investors as well. Mm-hmm. They're in the mold right. that Berkshire's in, the Ben Graham School of Investing, where you find companies that are undervalued um, and you, uh, you, you, you pile in there. And – um, I don't know if Apple's truly undervalued, but you know it's down, you know, significantly from its peak of about a year ago. I think I think it was trading over 130, and it's at 95 now today. Even after it got a bump on this news, so and uh, you know, and the analyst reports, you know, say, say their PE multiples pretty, you know, pretty pretty. It's not bad for, no, uh, no, for a tech it, company. It's, for, it's been that way forever. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So you know, maybe. You mentioned how the stock is doing today. Definitely getting a nice little boost. Do you think that's because a lot of people in the market just saw, maybe misinterpreted the headline and think that it's Warren Buffett giving his seal of approval? Or are these other um, investors in Berkshire, do you think that they're going to start being able to provide pops to these yeah, can stocks, they, too? Can they, yeah. uh, a light bulb just went off in my head. I don't oh. know if you heard it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. We did, is that what that was? <laughs> I, sound I, effects. I thought that thing. was Marine's phone going off, <laughs> oh. but it wasn't. Oh, it's Eric no, no. the light bulb over Eric's head. <laughs> Corey, you inspired me. Ding. Um, no, no. Well, there, there, certainly there's long been this thing called the Buffett bounce yeah. when a stock moves, when these 13F disclosures come out um, that show uh, you know the quarterly positions. And in the past, when it's been a small position, I, I think you are seeing more and more of a reaction, even when it's clear. And it wasn't initially clear, although Paul can vouch for me. I knew. <laughs> I knew. I, I will say, I, I will tell the public that Eric Holm started to write his post saying that this is not Warren Buffett's call before we got the official word that this was not Warren Buffett's call. Right. Yes, you were convinced of it. Right, right, yeah. right. Anyway, but uh, even even when it's um, clear that it's not um, Buffett's stock picks, it does give investors reason to give these stocks a fresh look and try to see it through the eyes of these guys because they have you know good track records on their own. Mm-hmm. 
in some years recently, they've done far better than Warren Buffett has with his stock picks. So, and it's interesting that Icon, I was we yep. were saying like yep. for a Let's long time, there. has been saying you know it's undervalued, it's undervalued, it's undervalued, and um, you know he's out. He obviously recently left, mm-hmm. exited the stock, right. and now presumably the Berkshire Hathaway is saying the same thing, even though we haven't heard that directly from them. I mean, that's well, what position saying, means saying it's yeah, yeah, that, that it's time to pile in. Mm-hmm. They're going right. opposite directions. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah, it's yeah. very symbolic, right? Icon gets out, Buffett gets in. Does it mean anything different for Apple? I, I don't really know. I mean, we'll see how it goes. But you know, these guys are very quiet. They yeah. don't talk about their picks. They don't, you know, they don't field calls or take questions or anything. At they, Berkshire, they, they, you're yeah, talking yeah, about. these uh, Todd and Ted, these guys, yeah. they they don't. Provide answers. They, they, it's opposite of Icon. He, he'll he'll talk about any stock in his right. portfolio if given a chance. And I mean the opposite thing too is I mean Icon was saying you're great. I mean it's undervalued, but you know we need some changes here. And uh, you know famously Buffett and Berkshire says like if we buy into you, you're doing it right. We don't right. want changes. Exactly. So yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're the opposite of activists. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's uh, let's end it there. We'll take a quick break. We have an important message, and we will come back, and we are going to focus on the IPO market. I'm Veronica Dagger. Do you want to know how the rich invest, spend, and protect their money? Then listen to the Watching Your Wealth podcast. For more information, check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts, and find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and now Spotify. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. Paul Vigna here in the studio. Grocer is off today, uh, commissioning stories, fixing problems, editing stories, and would have called in on the podcast. Nice day off for Stephen Grocer. But instead, we needed three people to replace Stephen Grocer, actually. Uh, so Holm, Corey Drebush, and Maureen Farrell are all here in the studio. And let's focus on the story that uh, Corey, Corey, you and Maureen wrote here. This is the abreast of the market about IPOs, about the IPO market. You may not be aware of this, folks. June is a big, important month in the IPO market, and it has not been a great year for IPOs, has it? No, it has not. So June is especially important this year. Yeah, it's Mm -hmm. been the worst since 2009, um, which obviously everyone remembers as the financial crisis. So that doesn't make a lot of people optimistic uh, going forward when you start comparing things to the last big crisis in the economy. So June is usually the second biggest month in terms of number of deals just to November and third biggest in terms of deal size. Remember last June, there were quite a few really big IPOs like Fitbit. Um, So everyone's kind of waiting to see, could this turn around? Is there something about June? Why why is June such a big month? I mean, I can understand why, you know, say in real estate, spring is is a big time to sell, right? Because you want to get everything squared away before the summer. You want the kids in their new school. You know, well, why is June important to the IPO? What, what seasonality affects the IPO market that June matters so well, much? There are two two factors come into play a bit. Um, some of the companies want to wait um, to put their future, their most recent earnings, and they can look further ahead. And they've updated their filings, so. They can show if there's if they're growing. They can show growth further out, and they've mm-hmm. just updated their financials. Yeah. And then the market just slows down a lot, you know, after July fourth. Right. So we've seen uh, some big IPOs in July and August, but you know, ideally they'd like to get out before the holiday, July fourth mm-hmm. holiday weekend. So there's you know, people are in town. They get right. a big big show. See a lot of people on the road show. So those are, I mean, two of the key factors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I just think it's 
if we could dwell on uh, for a minute about how bad the iPod mar- uh, market is. Yeah. You can always been, dwell on that. Yeah, it's been <laughs> nuts. We, we had a stat in a separate thing. I don't know if you guys saw this, that no IPOs have priced above their range this year. Yeah, that's a pretty um, crazy, crazy stat when you think about it. But it, it also plays into just this avoidance of risk. And everyone is really afraid. Even though the market kind of came down quickly and bounced back up, if you look at active fund managers and hedge funds, they did not get that. They don't, they're not even for the year. They have not gotten this bounce back in performance. So these are the people who invest in IPOs. They don't want to go out and invest in an IPO and see it just trade flat or even trade down the first day. They want to have a baked in first day pop. So I know there were a couple IPOs earlier this month that talk to syndicate traders, um, the guys who price, or the gals who price the IPO, um, and they said they had enough demand to be able to price certain IPOs above the range, but they were getting pushback, and they didn't want to do it. They'd rather have a 20% pop the first day. It just speaks to this kind of caution and wariness um, and fear that still permeates stocks. And it also speaks to why if you, you know, this is your one shot to go public. You're a company you've been waiting years or you're a private equity firm. You've had this, you've taken this company private and you want to take it back out to the, to the public markets. You're going to, you, you always take some bit of a discount to go public. You're going to give investors, you know, that hope they're going to get this pop. Say it's normally like a 10 to 15%. The markets are down, they're flat and tech, they've been, you know, decently down. Now, underwriters and bankers, everyone says you have to take a much steeper discount to get people interested. So I think that plays into this whole waiting game. Like, why do it now? Why Why go? Why not just, like, huh. let's give it an... I mean, that seems to be the mentality, both from the companies and the bankers telling them that, like, just, just take another month, see if the market moves up, and, you know, just wait till June, and we'll see. Yeah, and kind of around the idea of zero pricing <laughs> above range, it also plays into who has gone public so far this year. Mm-hmm. It's not the ones that can go public at any good time that people really want. <laughs> not that they don't want these guys, but these are the ones who are desperate for money, who really needed to raise money. We've seen a lot of biotechs, even in the worst of... We saw biotechs pricing in February, right right before February 11th when the market hit its trough. Yeah. These are the guys who need money to be able to continue their trials to be able to stay huh. in business. So is the, we've been hearing for, for a couple of years, of, of course, about the soaring valuations in the private market, about these unicorns in the tech space. Is there any sense that the, the tech companies have missed their window to go, to go public? I think it's, again, just a waiting game. And yes, I mean, to be fair, there's a lot of, there's huge amount of fears, a fear that um, about these down rounds, like we were valued at $5 billion. If we we even tried it right now, maybe we'd be at $2 billion. I I think there's, you know, there's unlimited optimism in tech land. They think it's going to, you know, wait a few months, it'll all, everyone will figure it out and we'll be worth $10 billion. Um, but I mean, there is a real. I mean, that is a, one big reason why companies are waiting. And I think the one good thing that um, people in Silicon Valley say is that the valuations have gotten so high that these companies, a lot of them, raised as much money as they possibly could while they could. So they are in a decent position to kind of wait this out. They, you know, uh, this is probably going to change in like Q3 if the market still stays yeah. dead. But at least they can. Yeah. They have a few. They have a longer right. span of time before they have to go back. You know, what's interesting is you talk about June being a big month, November being a big month. Both of those months are going to have 
really big news mm-hmm. events dominating yes. them. I, I, talk about them and talk about how that will affect the market. I think that's part of the fear going into June, and that's part of what we hinge our story on is can this June actually play out well? Forget what's happening in the market, but right. we have the Fed meeting, yeah. which no I mean, it's priced in that nobody expects a rate hike, but all we need to hear is some more kind of hawkish tones in their statement, and the market could go crazy. A week after the Fed meeting, we have the referendum on the Brexit, right. which everyone is also kind of panicking about. So both of those events, plus then we start going into, in July, earnings season, we're going to have another contracting earnings season. So there's a lot of big catalysts for another downturn. Yeah. And it seems like if bankers are thinking much more about, um, you know, timing a roadshow, which is usually like Seven to ten days. Seven yeah. to ten days um, around before Brexit. I mean, that's a bigger. The Fed meeting's a concern, but I think the bigger one is Brexit. Like, you just right. if you're going to do a deal, try to get it done before then. Right. And it's it's funny. Sorry, just no, no, no. In, It's funny because bankers. We talk. Whenever I talk to bankers, they say, "Oh, Fed meeting doesn't matter. It's more Brexit." And then I talk to fund managers who actually invest <laughs> in these, and they say, "No, we care about the Fed meeting. Don't yeah. discount that out." So. And then in November, of course, you have the presidential election. Yes, which is shaping up to be one of the more interesting presidential elections <laughs> of our lifetime. So one way of saying it, yeah. yeah let's, let's, let's just, yeah. Let's just yeah. put it that way. So, you know, so then you have that too on top of that. Yeah. So, and when I've talked to bankers and fund managers about November, they say, okay, so there could be three weeks after the election that could be good to go, depending how the election goes, depending mm-hmm. how the market reacts. But they could not be. And then you're in December right. and then you have the holidays and then we've just lost all of 2016. Yeah. So so let's let's kind of try to wrap this up and just tell us, you know, from all the folks you talked to and putting the story together, you know, what is the sense of how the market is going? Is there a sense of how the IPO market is going to look for the rest of the year? Uh, there's very limited optimism, I'd wow. say. And particularly, I mean, it's particularly telling that it's from these underwriters and bankers who are sort of paid to be optimistic to a certain extent. But but right, on the flip right. side of that, they also don't want to see companies go out and like crash and burn because that only makes that many more companies like fearful. It only yeah. makes the investors fearful. So and I, I'd say even the most optimistic ones think it's not going to like the most in tech world, we might get is like 10 IPOs this year, which is a very small number of deals. And are there any big names coming up or they could they could come up? There are a lot of like among the bigger names, I think in tech land, I mean, Uber's been, you know, that's the one everyone's not, waiting yeah, for. They've made it very clear. Have they not. filed papers? I'm, no, they've made it very clear. Not they're not going to go. Not, they're not, not right. publicly. Yeah. Okay. In 2016, yeah. they couldn't right. be any more straightforward on that. I think the biggest names are like some of the PE-backed firms that tried to go last year, like an Albertsons, a Univision. Um, and that seems like the market's going to really dictate that. Um, some of the PE firms, as we discussed in our article, are going out. Smaller ones. We have a relatively big deal in U.S. Foods. It should be a billion-plus IPO. But, um, yeah, so those will be the bigger names, and we don't even know. And I, we probably won't know for a while yeah. whether or not they're really going to test it. Yeah, doesn't look good. Doesn't look good. All right. Well, look, June will be the tell. Corey Marine, I want to thank you very much. Thank you. Eric Holm, excellent work as always, my thank friend. Thank you, sir. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, I am Paul Vino. We thank you for listening, and we will talk to you later this week. 
WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.